And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from land, and when he sat down and taught the people from the boat, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all those who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we would pray for the blessing of your spirit to fall upon this place so that what we hear from your lips would not be simply our own thinking or our own minds, but rather would be indeed what you impress upon us and put into our hearts that we might be faithful followers of you now and forevermore, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles. As always, I like to have the scripture in front of you. There's some in the back. If you don't have one with you, it'll help you as we walk through this passage. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through I've been trying to think over the past couple of days of the most famous person I've ever met, uh, I've ever spent any time with. I, I've been trying to just kick around who's the most famous person. Uh, have you thought of the most famous person you've ever met? Think of the most famous person you've ever met, and did you act a little differently around them or whatever? About uh, 20 years ago, oh man, it's been more than that, 35 years ago or so, I got a chance to spend time with probably uh, one of the most prominent theologians of the late 20th century, um, and that was wonderful for me, but that geeked me up, but probably wouldn't excite uh, most other folks. About five years ago or eight years ago or so, I uh, went to a lunch counter, I was sitting at a lunch counter um, having lunch, and I sat down next to this one guy, and he looked about in his mid-20s or so, uh, some kid, and I'm sitting there eating about halfway through the lunch. I notice that everybody's paying a lot of attention to this guy, and so I start kind of thinking, who am I sitting next to? And paying attention to this, well, eventually it, find, it come out that this is um, a, a hockey player, a Pen Penguins hockey player, actually a rather famous one. I didn't recognize him at the time, but then afterwards it was like, oh, I, I sit up straighter, I used a napkin. I even tipped more uh, because I was sitting next to this guy. And it was just one of those freaky things that, you know, and, and right at the very end, yes, I leaned over and said, hi. And then I left because I was freaked out. But anyhow, I was next to this uh, real famous guy, and I was, I was all very encouraged by it. Anyhow, I was thinking about it. Uh, grab your text. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 5 today, walking our way through this passage uh, looking at uh, the initial call of the disciples. Now, this is on the very front end 
of the uh, disciples of Jesus' ministry. This is uh, usually titled and understood as the calling of the first disciples. So here we have, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, starting right in verse one here, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on in on him, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, uh, just to help us out a little bit. This is the only time the lake of Gennesaret is mentioned. It's just another name for the lake of Galilee. The surrounding area around Gal the lake of Galilee was called Gennesaret, so every once in a while it's called the lake of Gennesaret. But so we're talking about the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee, and on one occasion, while the crowd is pressing in on him, uh, the pressing in on him needs to be recognized a little bit. The word actually is something that deals with jostling. You know, you're getting bumped. You're getting, uh, uh, you know, it's not just that people are, are sucking in close to Jesus, but they're actually jostling him. They're bumping, they're running into him and stuff like that, and he's getting knocked off his game. Now, what is Jesus doing? Why are, the, why are people pressing in upon him so much? Why are they jostling him? They're so excited to be with him because he's proclaiming the word of God. I want you to listen to that for a second. He is preaching, Jesus is preaching, and people are so excited about it that they're pressing up against him, they're bumping into him and, and jostling him so much. So I kind of thought that we would do this. I'd invite a lot of the kids forward here, and then they could stand around me and they would jostle me while I try to preach. And then I decided not to do that. So we're not going to do that. But just imagine what it would be like if you're trying to preach, you're trying to say something, and, and people are pressing in upon you. But it's not just pressing in upon you. Again, it's that literally they're knocking him off the stride. That's, that's kind of a good way of phrasing it. They're knocking him off of his stride. So he's preaching here, and they're bumping in up against him so much so that they could hear the word of God. Listen to how great that is. They're so excited, and Jesus is proclaiming the word of God in such a way that people are so excited, they're present. Now he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and you kind of can picture this kind of happening. So I, I picture, you know, Jesus is preaching, and people are so excited that they, they're bumping into him a little bit, and he keeps stepping back a little bit, and he's stepping back, trying to get some distance so he can proclaim the, the word, and pretty soon he's knee-deep up in water. Right? Literally, he's standing in water, and people are still kind of pressing in upon him. They're bumping, jostling him, and so he looks, and he sees two boats, verse 2. He looks and sees two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them. They were washing their nets. So the fishermen are busy doing something else. The boats are just sitting there. So Jesus, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, verse 3, he asked to be put out into the lake a little bit from land. One of the great joys that I have of being a preacher is that I get to do weddings every once in a while. Um, and, and I love weddings, and I love doing those. Um, and one of the things that I always do on the rehearsal time is I warn the couple I, I said, look, at some point during the service, I, I need to speak to the congregation. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm challenging the congregation. I'm obviously talking to the bride and groom, but I'm also talking to the congregation as a whole. And yet they're standing like right smack in front of me. And I say to them, I said, look, it's going to feel like I'm yelling at you the whole time because I'm, I'm you're right here in front of me, but I need to get through you. I need to talk through you so the congregation can hear and everything. Well, I suspect... Jesus is having just that problem. He's, the crowd is pushing in on him so much that he's, he, he's getting jostled like any human being would be in a, in a big crowd of people wanting to get near him and be close to him. And he wants to project. He, he's preaching. He wants people to hear him. And so he wants to get his voice out there so he 
he wants to separate himself a little bit so he can proclaim that, so he can proclaim God's word. So he does something that is very natural. We build a little stage and have me up here like this just so that we can put some distance. So Jesus gets in a boat, pushes out from water a little bit because, you know, so that the people don't go up to their necks to kind of get next to him. So there's that little bit of distance so he can go ahead and proclaim the word of God. And then he sat down, the end of verse 3, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. That is just standard cultural practice at that time. You would sit in order to teach. We do it just the opposite, obviously. You're sitting, I'm standing here. Uh, but it's the very same image. If you were following somebody who was a famous teacher and he would sit down and kind of shift himself a little bit in a certain position, you would realize, oh, he's getting ready to preach. He's getting ready to teach. And so in this case, Jesus gets into a boat, pushes off a little bit. Why? So that, again, it were, Jesus is trying desperately, because of his humanity, to, to kind of communicate the gospel message. That's his dream, and he's finding a hard time doing it because of all the things that are happening around him. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, this is, if you didn't pick up, it comes a up a little later in the passage, this is Simon Peter. Uh, Simon is his other name, so we usually know him by Peter, this is the Apostle Peter, this is Simon Peter, this is how the companion text fits in, I think Simon Peter, you can easily see a whole lot of things that Doug read earlier about this coming across uh, very powerfully in terms of what Simon uh, had learned, or what Peter had learned. Uh, and when he had finished, Jesus finished preaching, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, if we're going to appreciate the text, we kind of have to appreciate what this means for Simon Peter to do this, uh, for Jesus to ask this of Simon. Uh, Simon's a professional fisherman. Fishermen at the time uh, on the Sea of Galilee would fish late at night. Because of the heat of the day, the fish during the day would sink to the bottom of the lake to try to escape the heat. But during the night, they would rise up to the surface, and then, of course, they would cast their nets. This wasn't rod and reel kind of fishing, but this is a big nets and, and stuff like that. And so you would catch the fish during the night. And here is Jesus sometime during the day, probably the morning hours, saying to so Peter, hey, go ahead and now throw out your nets. And Peter is like, I'm the fisherman here. I kind of know what's going on and what isn't. But it's more than that. Simon Peter is washing their nets. We're told that in verse 2, that the disciples are washing their nets. Now, the nets, you have to try to think of it along these lines. The nets are the livelihood of the fishermen. If the fishermen don't have nets... They don't have anything. They don't have any food. They, don't, they, they can't catch anything. So the nets are the most important gear that they own. It's more important to some extent than the boats uh, that fishermen have. They cost more, et cetera. And you would hand down these nets from generation to generation. This is not just something that, you know, you go out and buy at uh, Home Depot or something like that. Uh, you, had, you would have these nets that would be, now the nets are kind of big. The, the, think in terms of the squares. The squares are, are almost this size along those lines. And the nets are made of, of real thick rope. Uh, not quite the size of an oval here in your hand, but similar to that. So they're really thick, maybe a half an inch across or something like that, these ropes. Now the Sea of Galilee is a freshwater uh, lake, 
but it nevertheless has a more significant salt content than what you would expect. It's not like the ocean or anything like that. It's got about 100 times less salt content than the ocean, but still a pretty significant salt content. And what does salt, what would salt do to a net that you need to survive in order to eat and your food and all this kind of stuff to catch your livelihood with? It would slowly, the salt, if it was left on the net, would slowly erode the net. And so every night after you go fishing, the fishermen would come on shore after the fish sink to the bottom of the ocean or, no, or the lake and no longer are catchable. You would come to shore and then you would have to wash the nets. So what that entails is holding the net, you know, two people would hold the net strung out uh, between them and a third part person would then pour water, fresh water. Now where do they get the fresh water? Well, it's piped in, luckily, thanks to the municipal, no, it's not. Uh, they have to go get the fresh water. I don't know how far, you know, I, I don't wanna over-elaborate this, but let's say that the well is a half a mile away or a quarter of a mile away, uh, that they have to go to get this fresh water that they're gonna rinse the nets with. Where do they, how do they get the water there? Well, they, they don't have nice little plastic jugs. They got these earthenware jars, sometimes really massive ones. So they gotta haul all the way to the well, fill these well up with fresh water, haul them all the way back, and then somebody's got to stand there and pour the fresh water over it while somebody wrings out each one of them. Okay, do you get the picture? So the disciples, uh, sorry, uh, Peter and his fishermen friends are busy doing this, cleaning, rinsing out the nets while Jesus is preaching. And then Jesus says, hey, here in the middle of the day, when there's no reason to expect there's going to be any fish at all, I want you to go out into the lake and just cast your nets out for a fish, for a wish. Now, Jesus is asking them to do something that is going to involve re-cleaning the nets, which could be an up to a two-hour task, depending on how far they go. They throw the nets in just once, and then they've got to completely re-clean them, wash them again, if they're gonna protect their livelihood. Now, when we see Jesus saying here, hey, go cast the net out and stuff like that, we might think to ourselves, well, this is Jesus being God and he's gonna show off and do his God thing and have a miraculous catch, which if you were listening carefully when I read the passage, you know is exactly what happens. But we can miss the challenge that's being put forward to Simon and the rest of the disciples. This is a, they are, they're at, Jesus is asking, them to do something that makes no sense. They're the professionals, they know better than this. And then specifically that is increasing their workload after a long night of work, immensely. Jesus is asking them to waste their time and then that is gonna include immense amount of effort on their part. Simon answered in the verse five, Simon answers, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. You can hear, um, you know, this is my Simon voice. Master, we toiled all night. You know, I, it sounds like he's whining here to me. Now, again, there's no essence of that, but it sounds whiny to me. We've toiled all night and caught nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, my amazement at this is why would anybody do that? Why would Peter 
do what Jesus asked him to do. He doesn't know, again, there's no indication that they knew each other beforehand. They might have, it wasn't a tiny community. They might have known each other and stuff like that. Peter might have recognized Jesus as kind of an older guy or a preacher at that, maybe, but we don't get any indication of that. The most indication we get is that this is their very first meeting and Peter here says, okay, you're asking me to put out a whole lot of time and energy for no good reason, but because you asked me to, I will go ahead and do so. Now, you need to be careful that we don't read the end of this story into this middle part here. It would be easy to sit and think, Peter has some inclination of the divinity of Jesus Christ, that he sees him as God, and therefore God says, hey, Henry, go waste two hours of your life. I go, yes, sir, I'll go waste two hours of my life. Why? Because you're my Lord, and I will do anything you want. That's not what Peter says here. I don't think you can read that into what Peter says here, especially given the back end of the story. What is Peter's reasoning at this point? Why is he willing to go this distance? Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. While Peter has been rinsing these nets, what's he been doing the whole time? What's, what's, what's Peter been doing while he's been rinsing these nets? He's been working at the nets, and off to the side has been this preacher who has been proclaiming the word of God. And so having heard the proclamation of God's word and what it means, and hearing this man do this great job preaching, he doesn't know anything about fishing, clearly, what he's asking me to do, but listen to the proclamation of the word of God. That brings some power, that brings some thrust behind it, and so Peter then says, Master, which is a term of endearment, a reverence kind of a thing, it's, it's you know, kind of like saying sir or something like that. It recognizes that Jesus is something special, but he realizes Jesus is something special because he's been proclaiming God's word and it comes across so powerful. So Jesus, Peter says, okay, I'll go ahead and do it. And he takes and he throws the net overseas. And then of course what happens? When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. Now, every commentator I read says that the only way to understand that is, is not, not hyperbole, but the point is the author's trying to say, look, the nets really can't break under the weight of fish. I mean, or the boats, you know, they both filled to begin to sink. You know, that, that almost can't, it's almost impossible for there to be that many fish. That's the picture you're supposed to get here. Not that, wow, this is a really great load of fish, but wait, it's an impossible number. What Jesus has done here has done something impossible. Verse eight, when Simon Peter saw it, being a fisherman and a good businessman, he immediately approaches Jesus and says, hey, can you come back tomorrow? And the day after that, you know, if we work this out together, I can cut you in on half the profits or something. No, it isn't what he says. When Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, O Lord, I am a sinful man. What is Peter's response to seeing this? It is falling down at Jesus' knees. Now, 
obviously reverence here. You could, you could argue that falling down on somebody's knees and pleading with them isn't exactly worship, but when you tie it with the other things that Jesus says here, it's hard not to see it as worship. Peter falls on his knees and begins to worship Jesus. I think you can tell in part because he shifted earlier, having heard the word of God proclaimed by this great preacher, Peter calls him master and is willing to go out of his way and do something that's silly because he sees the power of the word of God. But here, after the miraculous work of fish, after Jesus demonstrates not just his humanity, getting jostled and bumped around, having to spread himself out and proclaim God's word, but when Jesus proclaims his deity, when he identifies himself as God, what is Peter's response? He falls down at his knees and calls him not master, but he calls him Lord. And notice what he says. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Now, why does Peter say, depart from me, I am a sinful man? He recognizes who Jesus is. He sees him as God, and he says, get away from me. Now, I think there's one of two options here. Get away from me, Lord, because you'll nuke me, because you're holy, and I'm not, and I need to get, you need to get away from me, or I'll get damaged here. That's possibly it. I think it's the other way around. I think Peter's saying, get away from me, Lord. I'm sinful. I am going to damage you. You clearly are holy. You clearly are divine. Get away from me, Lord. I don't want to hurt you with my sin. Because all of the people were astonished at the catch of fish. Take a look there at verse Verse nine, for he, Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. What does Jesus say? Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. Now, if you read the text just briefly, you can miss that this is the kind of language that the divine uses all the time with his people. This is, this is God speak. This is what God says over and over again in the Old Testament to his people. This is what Jesus says and what God says over and over again to his people in the New Testament. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Peter is standing there, kneeling there, worshiping Jesus, saying, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And in his astonishment, at what Jesus has done, and Jesus speaks to him clearly and says, do not be afraid. That comfort and reassurance that comes consistently with the gospel message. From now on, you will be catching men. And of course, that's the total playoff of Peter as the fisherman. From now on, you will, play, you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats onto land, they left everything and followed him. A couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, as uh, Brendan noted, we started our Advent season. 
And in the Advent season, Doug and I have determined to look at the incarnation, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and try to look at that from different angles, uh, different uh, uh, ways in which that influences and impacts us today. The incarnation, God becoming flesh. God indwelling flesh and becoming man and then appearing and presenting himself as a human being to all peoples. And what does that mean? Why don't we see people falling at their knees, confessing their sins, being astonished at Jesus, hearing his comfort and embrace, leaving everything and following after him? Why don't we see that? Is it possible because we spend so much time at the lunch counter that we don't pay attention to who we're sitting next to? And as soon as we see him for who he really is, we then say, oh wow. We start using our napkin and tipping better and acting differently because of who we are sitting next to. Jesus presented himself in Peter's mind just as a great preacher And Peter responded to him like a great preacher. It was a great response. But it wasn't falling at his knees and worshiping and adoring until he realized truly, wholly, completely who it was that he was sitting with. Not just a great preacher. Yes, a man who could sympathize, a man who knew what it was like to get jostled around, a man who knew what it was like trying to communicate, trying to do what God called you to do, and yet having difficulties, having the limitations of the physical life. Yes, Peter watched Jesus as he dealt with that, but then he also realized that Jesus is far more than a human. Not less, but he's far more than a human being. He's the divine one that controls and rules all of nature, and because of which, there's only one possible response, and that is to fall at your knees, to worship him, to confess your sins, to be astonished at everything that God does in your life, to turn and dedicate your life and everything that you have for him, and not to be afraid in his presence. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, what a great blessing that you have given to us. That you have called us, just as you called Simon Peter, just as you called the other disciples, just as you laid out for them your humanity and the embrace that we can experience with your humanity. And yet, Lord, also your divinity, that the incarnation, God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory. And so, Lord, we want to be men and women who are marked by falling at your knees, marked by our worship, marked by our confession, that marked by our astonishment and by the fact that we then embrace your forgiveness and your grace, not to be afraid in your presence. Lord, we want to be those people. And I think we can only do that if we realize who it is that we share that lunch counter with, when we realize who it is that we come in contact with each and every minute of our waking existence. Lord, drive us to our knees. Now and forevermore we pray. Amen.